Please support these companies. They took the time to educate us during this conference. Welcome to the third annual virtual aquaponic cannabis conference. Guys, lots to juggle this morning. like some weird screen sharing error oh there we go this will work okay i can make this work all right sorry about this guys again zoom has been weird this morning uh, we've had a whole bunch of uh <laughs> of technical issues but i think we got everything sorted so today i'm going to talk about a bunch of advanced natural farming techniques that i've been working on all the stuff, a large percentage of the stuff that we're going to talk about today was thanks to Chris Trump. We're going to kind of talk a little bit more in depth about IPMO, uh, as well as uh, super labs, uh, plant labs, and um, how to better utilize mineralization in terms of isolating different plant and new mineral groups, uh, and how to utilize things like Open uh, Nutrient Project and some of the other things that we've built as far as tools to make it easier for you to dial in nutrients in your grow at home. And I wanna kind of teach you guys a couple of things that um, maybe will, will change the way you think about some of the different KNF inputs. And then also share with you guys a couple of the cool experimental stuff that we're working on uh, and kind of give you guys some how-tos on, on how you guys can uh, experiment with some of that stuff at home. So the main point that we're gonna talk about today is kind of uh, how do you increase competitive exclusion in your garden, right? So. Um, I think a lot of times people don't really think about competitive exclusion in a way of, of protecting the garden or they, it's like treating something or, or as a remedy and not so much as a preventative. And it's something that I think that people often need to kind of focus on more. Um, I, I can't say this how many times, uh, you know, over and over again, but uh, IMO, your indigenous microorganisms from KNF is the best thing you can put in your garden. Um, you know, it, it helps the plants defend themselves. It helps eliminate a lot of those pathogens and bad fungi in the system. And also can really help with mineralization and things like aquaponics. Um, you can pour that directly into your MBBRs. You can pour that directly into your system. Uh, and, and it helps with the mineralization and, and breaking down that fish waste and adding those microbials that you don't traditionally have in that food web. Uh, you know, in aquaponics or ones that are just missing because you don't have a fully natural environment that you know, has the, all the different things to process things like phosphorus, potassium, uh, and sulfur, and other things. So definitely something that you should, you should check out. <laughs> For those of you who don't know who I am, I guess I should introduce myself. Um, my name is Steven Reisner. I'm the organizer of this conference. Um, I'm also the owner and operator of Potent Ponics. Uh, I have a whole consulting business. I'm currently living in Thailand. Uh, we have a large operation that we're setting up here. Uh, we have four very large greenhouses that'll all be set up as flowering uh, aquaponic facilities using a SIPS type system. Uh, it's kind of a hybrid living soil aquaponics facility. Uh, you could check out more about that on my YouTube channel uh, over on Potent Ponics. We have a ton of video content on there or on my Instagram. We also have a podcast called Growing With Fishes. Oh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, but I guess that's the quick and dirty of who I am if you want to know more. Um, check out more of the content on the, whatever platform that you're listening to or viewing this on. Uh, we have hundreds of other hours up uh, if you're into educational content. All right. So think about your microbes the same way you think about Mulder's chart, right? You need to have everything in the right ratios and you don't want to have anything over dominant. I think a lot of times people kind of go crazy with trichoderma and lactobacillus and don't realize that they're creating an imbalance in their system, uh, be it aquaponics or with uh, soil systems. In aquaponics, it's a little less of a, a disaster when it comes to over domination, but in soil systems, it can definitely be a huge problem if you have way too much of one or the other. So think about them and the different um, uh, soil groups the same way that you think about um, you know, Mulder's chart, and you'll, I think you'll you have a much better um, outcome and a better view about how you have to go about managing your microbials. I think it's something that, again, uh, isn't kind of emphasized enough. People kind of talk about it in a different different way, and I think it's an easy translation if, if you're used to understanding how Mulder's chart works. 
So one of the other things that we've had a lot of good luck with the last couple of years is uh, blending different strains of the same uh, microbial controls. So for instance, uh, blending BioSeries with Velifer and Botanigard, uh, or blending Velifer and Botanigard, both of them are very Abbasiana strains, but when you blend them and brew them for you know, 12 hours uh, before application, you can actually create some hybrid strains that have a little bit better virulence. Uh, we've noticed a much better infection rate for things like leaf hoppers uh, and some of the other harder to treat insects by blending some of the different strains of uh, Isaria fumicerasiae, uh, as well as Viverea bassiana, um, you know, and mixing those together. Uh, uh, not so much the, the, the Isaria with the Bavaria, but mix, mixing the different strains of the same species uh, in order to get a more virulent uh, in, uh, particular um, infection rate. And this came into play when we were in Georgia, we had a bunch of uh, leafhoppers uh, that were kind of immune to everything. Uh, and as soon as we started doing some of the blends, the different Bavarebasianas, boom, immediately started getting, uh, you know, really good results with infections on those leafhoppers. So uh, definitely something to think about and, and something that can kind of give you an additional weapon in your toolbox when it comes to your IPM. You already have a couple of these products. You can kind of add a, you know, if you have three of these, well, you can run all three individually, then you can do a blend of them as your fourth in your rotation as like a, an extra, um, you know, IPM right, uh, to your regimen. One of the other cool things that you're starting to see, and I don't know if this is hitting this, this stuff in the US, but here in, in Thailand, we can actually buy metarizium uh, mixed with uh, Bavaria bassiana, uh, and that gives us a really wide-ranging pest control option. And uh, I know there's more and more of these different blended products starting to come out on the market. And uh, it's also another great thing, way to, to you know um, uh, get a better efficacy out of your biocontrols. Just be mindful that uh, stuff like this, especially this particular product, will leave a little bit of a, a residue on the leaf. Um, and if you don't know what you're looking at, you can think you're looking at powdery mildew. Uh, I know I certainly thought it was the first day after application, and then I realized it was just the little water droplets from that. And uh, the next day when we had a good mist coming through, all of it was gone. So um, yeah, definitely a good product. And uh, I will say Isaria fumicerasiae is like completely impossible to find here in Thailand. I don't know why, um, but it definitely is uh, hard to come by here. All right, so why would you use natural farming in your facility? Uh, well, natural farming can lower your costs. Uh, it can greatly reduce um, uh, fungal infections. You know, I can't even imagine trying to grow here in Thailand with the high humidity with, and running aquaponics in high humidity without having um, properly designed greenhouses and airflow, but also having that good regimen of, of bio, 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 microbiology on the leaf surface. You know, when we apply liquid IMO and things like labs uh, and, and other biocontrols, Bactillus pamilus, Bactillus subtilis, Bavaria balsiana, et cetera, et cetera, all of these things can survive on a leaf for quite a while uh, and help defend the plant uh, from things like insects or molds. Um, you know, without do, using that and trying to fall back to some of the old traditional methods with spraying chemicals and all sort of stuff, it's simply not going to work in a place that's as humid as here. If you have that natural defense force ready to help defend your plant at, at all times, that's what's going to get you the best results, especially in more extreme climates and more, um, you know, harder to manage climates. Um, you can also treat a wide range of things that are really hard to treat, you know, things like septoria and other things can be reversed pretty quickly um, with, you know, treatments of lactobacillus and, and IMO. It's another, another great example of one that there isn't really a great go-to in the, in the traditional, um, you know, treatment market, whereas with you know, things like natural farming, you can crush it pretty easily. Um, mineralization and aquaponics, adding IMO to your mineralization tanks and your brew tanks and your uh, compost tea tanks, all that kind of stuff, dramatically increases the mineralization rate, sometimes as much as 80% in some minerals uh, in terms of uh, total bioavailable PPM. So it really allows for you to get a lot more mineralization out of that same fish waste that you're already generating. So you can make the most of it and, and you know, reduce the amount of supplementation that you do need to use in your system. You can also blend, you know, small amounts of supplements, depending on what it is, to make them hyperbioavailable, which is another thing that you can do. As long as you don't make those mixes too hot, you won't burn those microbes. Um, you can help, uh, uh, we talked about increased plant resistance uh, and, and mineralization, as well as adding missing things. So yeah, uh, helping missing, uh, adding in some of those missing mineralization microbes in the, in the aquatic food web 
uh, as another important point to things like IMO. So one of the topics we're going to talk about today is uh, what is indigenous predatory microorganisms? So indigenous predatory microorganisms is um, a method that was introduced to me by Chris Trump. Um, Chris Trump's a really good friend of mine. Um, thank you so much for Chris. Uh, he's helped kind of refine this uh, as well. I know I've been working on it as, and he's kind of um, had some in, uh, insightful things. Uh, we're going to talk about some cool things that I've kind of uh, stumbled upon here in Thailand, uh, working with this method and, and trying to adapt it to the climate here. Uh, and then I worked with this again in Africa and in Zimbabwe, as well as Oklahoma. So IPMO is similar to IMO. The only difference is that we're going to replace 30% of the rice from an IMO collection with crickets or, um, you know, uh, lobsters or crabs or, um, you know, any other type of chitinase or chitin heavy um, uh, uh, material, right? So, um, but the ideal thing is locally collected insects. If you can get you know, a little black light or a little lamp with a little bucket uh, of water underneath of it to collect those bugs and dry them out, use them. Or here in Thailand, we can just go buy crickets at the market. Um, you can go to your pet store and, and buy crickets at your pet shop and do the same thing. Um, but the idea is to try ideally to get locally collected insects or even insects from your pests from your garden. I know when I was working in Georgia, we had a bunch of um, um, uh, Japanese beetles and they were able to do some collections with that that worked very well. Um, and, and take the Japanese beetles off of the plants that are starting to get mold uh, and then immediately use them for IMO collection. So, but basically the idea is, is that you're going to allow those indi same indigenous microorganisms um, uh, to be collected onto your rice, but you're also collecting the ones that also prey upon those insects and exoskeletons and feed on the chitinase and, and, and those insects themselves. So you can kind of help gather the local fungi that Will, will attack those, those insects in your local area. So you're not spraying anything that's not already there, not spraying anything that's foreign, you're not spraying anything that's not supposed to be there. You can kind of collect the local biology that naturally will kill these insects, concentrate it and weaponize it, and then use it back against uh, the, the local insects in, in your population. Now, this helped me a lot when I was in Africa, when Zim, uh, COVID broke out, they sealed the borders of Zimbabwe. So we couldn't import anything. So we kind of had to figure out how to deal with the grasshoppers. And we had a, a lot of grasshoppers, like large grasshoppers in Zimbabwe. And um, I talked to Chris and he's like, well, hey, we had this work really well for weevils and beetles. Um, you know, why don't you give it a try for, you know, the, uh, um, uh, for your grasshoppers. So we tried it. You know, we basically had a couple of the local kids collect a bunch of the grasshoppers and crickets. Um, and other bugs, we, we use that instead of the, you know, purchased ones like we do here in Thailand. Uh, I'll, I'll put that out and then that really helped dramatically reduce the population to where we were only able to find a few per, per uh, acre after, after about two weeks of application. So it knocked them down completely and it also wasn't anything that like, I don't have to worry about the kids running through the fields or the dogs or, or the runoff or anything like that. You can feel good about, you know, using, utilizing this type of pest control. So um, it does work really good against grasshoppers, beetles, weevils, leafhoppers, scale, wasps, bees. Um, just be careful, it, it will kill bees. Um, we did manage to do that on one of the test runs that we did. Um, so be, be mindful that uh, if, you, if it's a plant that is being heavily pollinated, um, you, you might not want to use the IPMO on that one and maybe go with a different product. But this can work really well. It doesn't work particularly well on mites, but uh, I am working on a couple of, of test methods for, for that. We don't have any mite problems, but um, pretty much everyone else in Thailand has spider mite issues. So we have plenty of guinea pigs that we can experiment with uh, when it comes to testing some of these new new ideas that we're working on. But we, we definitely have some ideas on, on some cool new stuff that we'll be sharing later this year when it comes down that path. But um, yeah. So uh, this is your, your main, you know, ingredients here. So you're doing regular IMO collection. You're just replacing about 30% of the rice mass. So if I was doing a kilo of rice, I would replace 300 grams of that um, uh, rice with 300 grams of crickets or, you know, lobster or crab meal or, um, you know, anything else that's chitinase containing, uh, ideally. But, um, you know, crickets or, you know, whatever you can get your hands on. Uh, uh, insect frass is another one that you can utilize. So whatever is convenient for you and your local, your local reach. Uh, and then you're gonna, again, put that out, do your regular collection. 
you then you're going to cut that 50% with sugar so you can stabilize it and then you can go ahead and brew that. So you can see here's the results of uh, a little uh, little grub there that was a, a caterpillar that was feeding on the plants and got completely engulfed. So this is what we do here in Thailand. Uh, we go buy a couple kilos of crickets. People actually eat those uh, as a, you know, something to munch on here. They're not that bad. I like the silkworms better than the crickets, but the crickets aren't too bad. I'm kind of nutty flavored. Um, but you take those, you mix them with your rice. This is all uh, uh, cooked rice with crickets. So you're going to take the rice <laughs> and the crickets, mix it together. Then you're going to cook it uh, the same way as you would as IMO till it's al dente. Uh, as Chris would say, um, or 80-85% uh, finished, still but a little bit firmness, a little, little bit of firmness to the rice. Then you can take that and uh, uh, put it in your collection box, put it out, and, and collect the fungi on that um, collection. You're going to put the, the rice into your basket. Now, here in Thailand, we found that the baskets that are more open like that work much better. Um, they're also like 75 cents each. So um, we found that the collections with those tend to be much less trichoderma dominant. We were just getting much better results with them. So uh, that's the direction we're going now. And then we just go ahead and cut a little piece of screen. And we put zip ties on, on, on that to work like a little hinge. Uh, and then we also go ahead and take a couple pieces of one of the other differences, I guess, from the other methodologies is something that Chris mentioned trying. And I, we, we've had a lot better luck with this too, in terms of um, sometimes when it's a little bit drier, we tend to get more trichoderma collections with the IMO and to kind of get around that problem, we're actually taking and looking around and trying to collect some of the different fungi and, and, and mycelium, sticking it right on top of the, you know, just dropping it in underneath the screen directly on top of the rice um, so it can colonize it a little bit quicker uh, and help, you know, reduce some of the trichoderma stuff, especially when it's a little uh, wetter and then dry right afterwards it seems like there's a bit of like a, an airborne bloom of the trichoderma that seems to cause a little bit more um, you also want to make sure you cover it from the rain as you can see here in the picture um, we just use like a little trash bag uh, and a couple pieces of bamboo or you know whatever uh, just to, to keep it up so this is what it'll look like when you get a good collection as you can see there's a couple leaves and sticks that we threw on top uh, that had uh, fungi on it you can see everything's completely you know engulfed this will come out like a cake right like a it'll be one piece it shouldn't be crumbly or anything like that and then inside you can see here the fungi that's feeding on the insects you can see this one's hollowed out the whole thing on the inside but the, but the one that's feeding more on the insect you can see is that more darker yellow fungi so um, your, your colors will be a little bit more varied it won't be just that all bright white with the insect collections you'll have a little bit more yellow uh, and a little bit more, you know, orange and things like that. But you shouldn't have it, lots of greens, just like you would for regular IMO collections. You don't want it overly green dominant because that's trichoderma. Uh, now, if you have a major root fungal problem, you can actually isolate and collect the trichoderma, uh, put that on some more rice, which I also have a video on on my YouTube channel, uh, and then actually just propagate the trichoderma to treat like root fungal outbreaks or something like that, which works really well. But you don't want to... Um, um, you know, in general, use that for your IMO. So next up, we're going to take that IMO chunks, break them down. Uh, as you can see here, again, like we we're talking about, it should be a thick fungal cake. It shouldn't be crumbly. It shouldn't be overly wet. It shouldn't be, shouldn't smell bad. It should, I mean, the, the insect ones don't always smell the best, but it shouldn't smell rotten uh, or like a, like a fermented uh, cricket or insect or anything like that. Uh, then you're going to mix that all, weigh it, and mix it again 50% with sugar, and then go ahead and put a, an additional sugar cap on it because we've noticed, especially with the IPMO, it tends to kind of rise a little bit uh, at first, and then it'll kind of drop back down. And if you have that that sugar layer on top, it keeps that that oxygen cap on, on there. So that seems to work a little bit better by doing it with that method, uh, particularly with the IPMO. Again, I have a whole 20 minute video just on this. Where we go step by step through on my YouTube channel if you want to learn more about it. Um, if you want to know the SOPs for it, um, I thought I'd throw that on here. I'm not going to sit here and read through this all for you guys, um, but you guys can go back to this video and use it as a reference um, uh, for yourselves um, so that you can uh, 
go ahead and make it for yourself. Uh, and then if you wanna do the IPMO three and four, uh, you can check the version out on here as well. Again, uh, just wanna kind of get this out um, so that everybody can kind of uh, get the word out on it. I think it's a cool new method that can work anywhere in the world. I've used it all over the place, um, you know, everywhere from Africa to Zimbabwe to now Thailand. And uh, yeah, it's great. So check it out. Again, uh, it's too much to read through. All right, so yes, last part. I thought there was only two parts, there's three. <laughs> but you can just do the quick and dirty so that if you just are in a rush, you have bugs, you treat them right now. This version works, you know, pretty well. Um, you know, this is the version that we use the most. It's just a quick and dirty IMO2 version. Um, but if you do want to take it to an IMO3 or 4, uh, we do have all of those instructions available here in the presentation. One word of caution, um, don't spray bees. Um, this is what happens when you spray the bees. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do what I did. <laughs> Jumbi spray. <laughs> yeah. Bad juju for the bees. <laughs> um, so with liquid IMO, uh, one thing I wanted to mention is um, uh, the uh, liquid IPMO is uh, you, you want to go about a cup. You can go a little heavy if you want to go over lower cup per five, four to four gallons, four and a half gallons. Uh, and then brew that up in your bucket. You can also use IPMO three or four, um, which we have instructions for uh, in the previous couple of slides. Uh, one tablespoon of humic acid, and then also make sure you do an extra cup of vermicompost as well. Uh, Chris turned me onto that recently, and it seems to work a little bit better. Also under the microscope, it definitely is uh, more biodiverse. So um, definitely something to think about when you're doing your IPMO additions, um, just to get that little extra diversity. If you see there's a couple of questions in chat, we'll, we'll get to that at the end of the presentation. All right, so the experimental version that I've been working on here in Thailand is, and this came from, I was looking at my beta. I have a beta sits on my desk. She's super cool. She's a koi beta. I found it at the street market the other day. Anyways, uh, I feed her ants, so uh, sometimes the, the ants get into the dog food or whatever outside, so I'll just go and scoop a bunch of them up into a cup, throw them in the freezer, and then feed them to her just to give her a treat. And uh, some of the ants fell down to the bottom and got moldy. So I uh, thought, huh, I wonder if that's like any kind of effective towards, you know, if that solely is just to break them down, if it's a saprophytic fungi, or if there's any more to it. So took some of that look under the microscope, look pretty interesting. So uh, took a regular jar and just made a bunch of it. And it just with a bunch of ants and, and just regular old, you know, distilled water we got here. Uh, dechlorinated water can also work. And then threw them in there and just let them, you know, grow the fungi on them after three or four days. Threw an air stone in it for about an hour just to stir it all up to get the fungi all broken up and, into little chunks. I put that into a spray bottle and then sprayed a couple of beetles, a couple of grasshoppers, a couple of ants um, that we have in little, you know, mason jars basically, but enough, you know, has little plants and stuff in there to keep them alive long enough to test them. And um, it seems to work really well against the ants and the beetles um, so far. Um, it hasn't touched the grasshoppers, which is interesting, but um, it's something else to, to try. So if you want something else to experiment with, you want a new idea to, to try out, um, it's not very difficult. It's very low tech um, and very easy to do as long as you can collect some local insects uh, in your area. You know, and again, this is something you'd have to actually collect your local insects. You wouldn't want to do this from this version, I don't think, from frass or anything like that. I think you, you really do want to get the, the actual in, insect collection. So definitely something else to try. And again, early test results uh, come back with ants and, and beetles being affected. But again, we're going to keep tinkering with this and, and trial some more stuff here. And we have a bunch of uh, stuff we're going to do with the IPMO as far as trialing it on rice fields this year and some other cool stuff here in Thailand. So we're, we're not just focused on cannabis when it comes to developing some of the stuff. Uh, we're also looking at helping some of the local farmers and, and also uh, test bedding it directly against traditional pesticides, which, hey, if, it, if 
you know, we can prove that it works just as good, you know, that's, that'd be pretty game changing for a lot of things. So it's definitely something I'm really excited to work on this year. Um, if you want this, there's the protocol for that. Um, you can check that out, um, you know, screenshot it, whatever you want to do. Um, just make sure if you reuse it for anything, just you know, give proper credit for that one. Make sure you give Chris credit too, if you're talking about IPMO. Um, it's kind of uh, his invention. He had to, um, weevils get into one of his IMO3 uh, batches and uh, they grew like little popcorn balls. And uh, sorry, the dogs are singing. Um, the, uh, they grew into little popcorn balls and that ended up being able to, um, those little popcorn balls turned into um, being little, you know, fungi, similar like Bavaria Bassiana or something like that. So he was able to um, realize that that was going on and then kind of, you know, develop that from there. So uh, shout out to Chris Trump for that and all of the awesome education. And he's actually be on uh, the, uh, the conference tomorrow. So other ideas to try. <clears throat> so someone recommended to me earlier this year, and uh, we've been kind of tinkering this a couple of times with using things like coconut water for your rice instead of regular water for cooking the rice to infuse it with more um, amino acids and other things to help you know, get better collections from your, your IMO. Um, definitely something interesting to try. You can also try you know, adding things like kelp or humic acid or powdered aloe. Things like that can also help uh, you know, increase some of the diversity from your uh, your collections. Um, plant ferments is, oh, as well. So um, you can also take your liquid IMO and then uh, basically do like a, um, a jajam um, kind of FPJ kind of thing. Uh, basically you take liquid IMO and you add a bunch of plant material to it. I have a, a different presentation on this, which uh, uh, I don't know. We do have slides on this later on. Sorry. Um, I had to make three different slides decks this week. So uh, it's been a fun week. Regardless, um, the, the plant ferments you want to take and, and you're basically just creating a concentrate. So once you melt those plants in the liquid IMO, you're, you're continually adding more and more and more. It works particularly good with bananas, uh, banana trees, um, squash, uh, anything that's, uh, you know, larger, vinier, has a lot of that, that tissue. Um, it works really, really well with in terms of potassium levels and other things. So definitely another great idea to try. Uh, and it can add another tool to your mineralization um, uh, toolbox when it comes to organic inputs. And then uh, aquatic IMOs, which we've talked about last year uh, in the presentation on um, this conference. Super Labs. Um, this is one of my favorite products, and this can really help accelerate plant growth. Uh, and also help you recover from like damage from, from insects or weather or whatever else. And this is basically taking labs and then putting spirulina and kelp into it in order to utilize the lactobacillus to break down those and isolate the hormones and invaluable compounds like phycocyanin and, and, and other important um, uh, plant growth uh, compounds. As you can see here, uh, when you do it properly, it is a brilliant blue. Uh, and uh, yeah, you'll know immediately if you get it right because of the color. But basically, you're going to take this, skim off the curds or the cheese off the top, and then below that will be a thinner blue layer, a neon blue layer. That's your super labs. That's the concentrate that you want to utilize as a foliar spray or a root trench in order to help heal damaged plants, uh, repair uh, uh, plants that have been heavily damaged by insects or um, even plants that haven't been watered. I know we use it on peppers that hadn't been watered in quite a few weeks and they had new branches coming in every dead leaf node and the plant was so dead, the leaves were like paper off of this, this little pepper plant that hadn't been watered in three weeks. So it, it does really amazing things when it comes to, um, you know, uh, not only accelerating growth rate as an organic PGR um, that you can make at home, but also, um, uh, you know, healing plants when you have a, a catastrophe. Here's the recipe for that. Uh, if you want to uh, utilize that at home, uh, you know, give it a whirl. Um, you know, again, it's too long to read through just like the others, but uh, you guys have it now if you want to play with it. So plant labs. Um, so just like we talked about with the spirulina, um, you can actually utilize lactobacillus uh, in a similar manner to things like FPJ to isolate the different nutrients from plant materials. So 
Um, one of the ones that I like a lot is doing things like stinging nettle or horsetail, um, which are both super high in silica. Stinging nettle is also really high in things like manganese and molybdenum and other trace minerals, copper, zinc. Um, just be mindful it also can be, both of those can be high in things in like heavy metals. So just be careful that you're getting them from clean and, and good sources when you are growing them and utilizing them as compost or liquid fermentation um, for your garden. Um, there's lots of great products out now uh, um, based on comfrey and purslane and cannabis and all types of things. You can also, you know, grow all those. Beets and radishes are another great one. The leftover parts of that uh, that you don't eat from those it can be a great, again, another great um, ferment. If you have a, an area that has a lot of really, you know, hard soil, you can grow lots of beets and things like that, bust up the soil and then ferment them and put that nutrients right back into the soil as well. So that can be a great way to recycle all that stuff in a way that kind of gives you another tool in your KNF toolbox in terms of breaking things down. And if you want the recipe for that and some ideas on that, and again, feel free to modify and change any of this. If this isn't working for you, you need to change a ratio or something, then go for it. Like, I think a KNF oftentimes is taught as this rigid structure. And to me, it's a, it's like a, a machine where I put plant material in on this side and then I get nutrients and fertilizer out the other side and microbial mixes or whatever else. So you know, you're tinkering it, tinkering with it and playing with it and changing it up. You know, I also like adding kefir grains to my lactobacillus and things like that as well. So definitely a different direction that you can go in if you're looking to diversify your KNF inputs. All right, sorry about that, I need a drink there. So fermented plant IMO. So this is what I was talking about before. This was developed by a gentleman that I'm hopefully going to get a chance to visit here in the next couple of months, uh, named Quoc Con Pham in Vietnam, who's a hop, skip, and a jump from where I am right now. Uh, he basically uh, came up with this method and basically he noticed that um, when he takes plant material um, and puts it in a ratio of one to 20, so 20 um, parts liquid IMO to one part plant material, to as high as five to 20 ratio plant material to liquid IMO uh, in a giant barrel. And then every you know month or so uh, added more and more and more plant material. After 90 days, there was a significant increase in uh, potassium, calcium, and iron levels. Uh, and they were able to get you know total PPM levels in those nutrients that were completely organic from just liquid fermentation that were as high as the same stuff that's available um, from like hydroponic nutrients or store-bought liquid nutrients. So this can, again, offer another solution that's hyper-concentrated so that you can, you know, have those quick reaction uh, solutions. It's, it's kind of like a weird hybrid of, of Jadam and KNF, um, but it, it certainly works well. I'm we're working on that right now with, with bananas and cannabis, doing liquid IMO fermentations and regular um, uh, FPJs. Again, we have currently over 4,000 plants. So we have tons and tons and tons of leaves every day um, that we have to work with to play with and ferment and things like that. So we're going to be utilizing all of that to put nutrients back onto our plants and back into our systems. And here's the, the recipe for that. You can give that a whirl. Uh, definitely check it out. And again, a big thank you to Quan Con Fem for that one. He's currently working on shrimp and... Um, and prawns, I think, right now in Vietnam. Um, I know he's working on some, some cool stuff with that. Uh, for nutrient testing, so if you want to test your uh, different inputs for your liquid of jadams, fertilizers, whatever else, uh, HANA is a great one because HANA has lots of non-color-based systems. So if you have color blindness or partial color blindness, which is a, you know, a large percentage of the population, HANA has really good uh, a tester units for that that have digital number readouts. Uh, Aquarium Pharmaceuticals has pretty cheap options. Lamote uh, has lots and lots and lots of different tests that are high quality. Um, and uh, you can find all these different things over at uh, aptestkit.com. It has a link over to the page over at opernutrient.com as well as the Excel sheet if you want to download that for offline use. That has all the different nutrient ranges and all the different things. But you can utilize all these different liquid test kits to test all of your FPJs your ferments, your lactobacillus stuff, so that you actually have an idea of what nutrient ratios are uh, in your own, um, what, what you're creating, right? I know, you know people are, are, are very skilled and adept at creating these different um, 
uh, inputs. I know so many wonderful people that listen to the show every week are always telling me about new things that they're working on. Well, a lot, you know, very few of them have had a chance to quantify the nutrients on them. And I think that if we can just get the info out on, on how to do this cheaply, I think we can start to get people to kind of crowdsource the solutions to a lot of this stuff. And we can start to understand a lot more of, of what the nutrient side of a lot of these imports are because too much, uh, I think people kind of are averse to talking about the nutrient ranges with the, especially the natural farming stuff. So uh, one of the main reasons I want to mention this is we, we've seen certain farms with, you know, up to 4X the legal limit of, of heavy metals, mainly for arsenic. Um, uh, in certain aquaponic systems where they just had someone that was a little too focused on the organic side and not on the chemistry side. Um, and this is definitely something that, that people need to, to think about. And this is the type of thing that happens when you utilize things like kelp plus iron as your only iron input and you're dosing that heavily every week. Um, you know, uh, you're going to end up completely overdosing your arsenic. Now, the main thing that, that we've seen with the arsenic is it seems almost always to be with extremely over uh, heavy overdosing of kelp extracts uh, or rock phosphate. You know, if you go completely insane with, with your dosing um, and totally overboard, you can absolutely fail for arsenic. But you can do the same thing in soil too. I know soil people that have also failed for arsenic for overdoing it with kelp. So just a word of caution with something that we have seen with some of my clients. Um, that we took over from other people in, in Oklahoma was, you know, that was the reason why we, we took them over. So you can check that out and, um, you know, just kind of a word of caution on that. So if you want a, a good database on how to find nutrient values for the plants in your local uh, home, the local area, you can check that out here at, uh, you know, Duke's database over at the Phytochem um, and Ethnobotanical databases. Lots of great info on there. Um, but if you want to find out all the different nutrients for specific groups, like all the potassium ones that are the best, all, all this by average nutrient content, we've actually taken it and broken down a lot of that data over at opennutrientproject.com. I've put together a huge database uh, of, of that, but not only Duke's database, but many other sources um, that you can find right there on the webpage. Um, each single uh, link has a link directly back to either the original database or the um, uh, the link directly back to the page um, that, that it came from. So uh, you can, you know, find all the source material if you think anything is, is inaccurate or anything like that. So check it out. It's, it's basically to try and make that a lot simpler to navigate and uh, a lot easier for people to utilize and use uh, on their own and, um, and be able to kind of, again, better understand the nutrient values of these ferments and composts and teas. You know, by making an open source database like this, it doesn't matter if you're a compost person or you're an aquaponics person or you're a Jadam person or a KNF person, this is valuable information regardless of what you're doing for any of those uh, in a format that's a little easier to quickly digest if you don't have a really deep background on this. So definitely something to check out. And this is available for free at opennutrientproject.com or potentponics.com, just click on Open Nutrient Project. Um, you, we also have a... a there we go. We also have the, the testing databases available on there as well um, with all the different uh, liquid test kits. We also are adding uh, soil, soil test kits on there as well. We're adding more and more of those all the time, as well as commercial uh, resources and links uh, for how to find um, uh, commercial testing. Um, if you're looking for uh, product testing, Oregon's Department of Agriculture Product Database can be found at the link there. Uh, and then Cannabis Horticultural Association research page also has a ton of great info on, um, you know, chemical analysis of different uh, uh, inputs and different things. So um, definitely a great way for you to, um, you know, better understand what's in the products that you're utilizing in your garden. Uh, another thing too for testing, if you're looking for virus testing and other disease testing, agdia.com is really good as well as medicinal genomics. Uh, Kevin McKern will actually be speaking on viruses later today, so definitely check him out. Um, but both of those are, are great resources if you're looking to uh, you know, find out what's going on in your garden. And then uh, you can find out more on me, from the Growing with Fishes podcast. We have over 800 hours of educational content. Uh, we're available on all the different platforms, Spotify, YouTube, uh, Google Podcast, iTunes, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, all the things. Uh, and uh, we have an amazing back catalog of, of interviews from people uh, 
from all over the planet. So definitely check that out. We have the aquaponic cannabis class, which you guys can check out as well. Marty and I uh, co-founded the Growing With Fishes podcast, as well as this conference. Uh, Marty will be with us a little later today. He's uh, currently tending the munchkins, and uh, but he will be with us uh, later this afternoon. Um, you can check that out at apmjclass.com or aquaponic-cannabis.teachable.com. You can use coupon code AP23 and save 75 bucks off the class um, uh, if you're uh, watching this. And uh, yeah, so uh, check that out. We do co uh, add new content to that. Any of the classes that I have through any of my platforms, we add new content to that every few months. We have a ton of new KNF content, especially around pest management um, for in high humidity climates. Uh, like Thailand uh, going up in this next month or two. So definitely check it out. It's kind of an ever-growing database. Check that out. Add new content to that. Any of the classes that I have in my platform, we add content to that every few months. Thank you. All right. Um, and uh, you guys can find me at Potent Ponics on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, all the things. Um, there's my email. Uh, there's the pest class, the nutrient class. Uh, all the other things. Uh, and we also have a wonderful Facebook group, uh, Aquaponic Cannabis Growers. So check that out uh, if you have aren't available or aware of that already. And uh, yeah, we'll take the last 10 minutes to answer questions. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks everybody. This was, sorry, a little discombobulated today with all the technical issues this morning, but uh, I think everything is, is on the right track now. What questions do we have here in chat? Let me go back through here. Sorry about that. Um, oh, do you have it in a list? Go, go to them. Yeah, go to the meeting chat. Yeah, I put all the questions in there so we wouldn't miss anybody as they're coming up. Uh, I, I got it. I got them up anyways. Can a man. Uh, uh, the first Canaman asked, do you have any experience, uh, any experience tips for collecting IMO in the winter or have any suggestions? Uh, one second. I can't get screen share to stop. It's like interesting problem. Anyways, I, uh, yeah, shucks. This is an interesting technical issue. Zoom, the new Zoom man is such a mess right now. There we go. There we go. Cool. I have control of my computer back. Now I can read the questions. All right. Um, isn't Korean natural farming more about microbial life and not nutrient content? That's kind of the misconception that I'm trying to like put out here at this point. Like to ignore the mineral content of all of the inputs that you're creating when now we have the ability to analyze it um, is uh, kind of silly. In fact, if you go to the Open Nutrient Project page, you have all those test kits on there so that you can analyze your, your natural farming inputs. We also have an, uh, a submission page on there so you can submit your nutrient results. And then we have a full open source database of what other people have found nutrient-wise with their tests. The idea is to crowdsource all of the different nutrient content from uh, from people's, you know, own personal farm data to, to create an open source database of what is the nutrient content when I create an FPJ with this particular plant in this general region. Um, because I think people are just ignoring all the PPMs of nutrients in there for no reason. And it just doesn't make any sense. Like from a chemistry standpoint, it just seems bonkers to me. And I don't understand. Like, it, again, it goes back to kind of like the religion of, of, of not religion, but like the the... I don't know any other way to put it. Like the there's there's some people that take the take it way too seriously. Like you have to there's this it's by the book. All with them, they follow the book to the T. And and uh, yeah, the, I've learned over time that it's a it's a toolbox that you are able to implement in different ways to your to your grow. It's it's based. Yeah, I'm not even the only one that's doing this type of mapping or trying to get this going right now. I know um our um. Nigel Palmer is another natural farming uh, expert, has some great books. In fact, I have one of his books right here. It's got um, the, 
anyways, it's called the Regenerative Grower's Guide to Garden Amendments. It's it's a really good book, but um, he's a big fan of mapping, and he has a whole database on his website as well of different nutrient values for different ferments and in KNF inputs that he's done. So again, I think that there's kind of this weird misnomer that it's not about the nutrients because they didn't have an easy way to quantify it before. But we have an easy way to quantify it now. So there's no real reason why we shouldn't understand what's going on and what we're doing in the garden. It's just there's just no reason to not do that. Using keef from milk, I'll help. Yeah, keef is really good. Um, it'll help diversify your lactobacillus and it'll make it a little more aggressive. Um, when you have kefir in it, especially when you're using it for um, powdery mildew applications, it seems to be much more aggressive at treating the powdery mildew. Uh, question about collecting bugs for IPMO. I can get kids to collect grasshoppers from me, but how do I kill the grasshoppers once I have them? Just toss them in a Ziploc and throw them in the freezer you know, for an hour and they're dead. That's the simplest way. Uh, same with caterpillars. What's the best way to kill them? Again, throw them all in a Ziploc, toss them in the freezer, you know, come back in two hours, hour or two, you're good to go. So you can feel good that they were asleep. Didn't die horribly. Um, do you have any experience tips collecting IMO in the winter? You can do it. Uh, one thing I would say is that you need to add more time. Like it's not going to be a five-day collection and you do need to kind of do it when there's a little bit of a warm spell. Like you're not going to do it below 32 degrees. Like, and you're probably not going to get a good collection below about 40 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, you, you can do it, but it's going to be like a 10-day, 14-day collection, not a five-day. Keep that in mind, and then I'd also, you know, be more on the on the seeding it, you know, putting those sticks and stuff like we talked about directly on top of the rice. Uh, what other questions do we have here? We got a, a few more minutes left. Sorry, I'm just now. Uh, mind if I chime in on that one a little bit? I've also heard of people burying them into the ground, so you get that 12 degree Celsius from the ground. So uh, it is obviously not the best collection, but um, you may be able to get your collection to happen a little quicker the, um, that way by, by burying them into the ground. I've seen people put their rice into socks and actually bury the sock below the surface and then dig it up at a later time. Cool. Um, we had a, uh, a gecko fight going on here. Me. Anyways, um, yeah, looks like everyone's checking their, their connection and everything. Um, what else do we have here as far as questions? Uh, I know I saw a couple about the uh, IPMO earlier. Was this uh, Green Goddess? A uh, question about collecting. Oh, wait, no, you already did that. Sorry, there's the one from. The chirping on the mic, if you can hear it, is the geckos. Can <laughs> I get them more stoned? It's a problem. Uh, did you do the uh, dirty growers question there? Um, uh, I have, I have, I have one. Uh, can, uh, can using kefir from uh, from the milk aisle help? I, I guess he's talking about um, yeah, making. Yeah, so we uh, touched on that one. Okay, sorry. We're good. Um, if anyone else has any questions in chat, go ahead and throw them in now. We have a few more minutes before the next guest. Can you finish? Gingerbug just asked, can you, uh, can you finish uh, collections indoor too? Uh, I, I don't oh. think you could finish a collection indoor. You could, you could maybe get it to bloom a little more indoor, but I don't think you'd be collecting anything there. Yeah, you could, you could do a, so one of the other methods that I've heard people do is put like it in like the pantyhose method where you kind of bury it below the substrate um, and go about it that way. And then uh, just like you were talking about getting it kind of below the frost line, that might be a yeah. way to kind of get some stuff, but, or just in a warm mulch pile or leaf pile or some, some other thing like that, that might be another option for collecting it, or maybe even just go with collecting some leaf mold that you can find and then trying to culture it indoors like in a, put the leaf mold into an IMO box in your in your garage where it's like warm but not hot um, that might be another great way to try and 
get some yep. kind of play. Again, it's not going to be as good as the forest one, but if it's that or nothing, it's certainly going to be better than, than anything yeah. else, that's for sure. I hope you guys have uh, got a bunch out of that. And I wanted to make sure you guys had some stuff that you could kind of take with you and go play with, right? Like, and uh, let me know how it works out. You know, give Chris some love if you do the IPMO stuff. And uh, and let us know what results you're finding with, with that. And uh, if you adjust anything, let us know what's working for you. Because I think this could be a really great, great method for everyone. I know we touched on it last year, but now we've got a lot, you know, a lot more experience using it at scale especially commercial scale now. So. It's also made our plants completely, and we don't have a single mold issue or septoria problem in our garden. And I know quite a few people in the area that are having septoria issues right now. So uh, wouldn't the input nutrient values of KNF plants vary due to the fertility? Exactly, and the area and this, the type of plant, all those types of things. This is why we need to crowdsource this because it's more data than anybody could ever put together for any university. This is something that we need to work on as a community, um, but can be a great resource and tool for everyone to utilize, um, regardless of what your tribe is of organic growing. All righty. Please support these companies. They took the time to educate us during this conference. If you're looking for more education on aquaponic cannabis, please consider the Aquaponic Cannabis Masterclass at apmjclass.com, featuring over seven days of in-depth, hands-on educational content with Marty Waddell and Stephen Reisner as your guides through the aquaponic cannabis universe. We'll cover everything from construction of large commercial facilities, home size systems, backyard systems, nutrients, pest control, diseases, everything you can think of, and, uh, and so much more. So be sure to check that out at apmjclass.com. And if you're looking for aquaponic cannabis or living soil uh, pest control courses, please check out uh, thepestclass.com, where we have a huge in-depth course on pest control, how to make your own um, bio controls, as well as in-depth guides and identification guides for a whole slew of different pests that you might encounter in your aquaponics garden. And it's not strictly just geared towards cannabis, uh, it's also geared towards vegetables as well. So be sure to check that out if it's something you think you might need to improve in your education.